conversations with the people, the feeling of uh, dropping, even though you're carrying a backpack, there's a lot of droppings, burdens dropped along the way. Stillness ideally allows me to hear the, the silent voice inside, you know, the, the quiet. I, I think about the desert mothers and fathers who went out into the desert in the 300s to be quiet and listen to the still small voice. I grew up Catholic. It's helping me, it's helping me glean the good stuff from, from the experience of growing up Catholic. All of this is helping me look at the positive inheritance because I have spent 30 years railing at the negative inheritance. The pilgrimage, the nature of a pilgrimage is a positive inheritance. Welcome to Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. I'm Matthew Anderson. During this time of limited travel, a lot of us are missing the long-distance trails we love. One of the ways I've been keeping in shape is by marching up and down my staircase. While I do, I think about the paths I've walked and the folks I've met from Ganawagi, Ganyagahaga territory to the Via Nova through the Austrian Alps. I hope you'll join me. Maybe one of these trails will tempt you. In this episode, we're back on the Trader's Road, also known as the Northwest Mounted Police Patrol Trail, or sometimes the Wood Mountain to Cypress Walk on Treaty 4 territory. So my name is Judy Fitzpatrick, yeah. and I'm the interpreter here at Wood Mountain Post, and yeah. I've worked here for 24 years. Wow. Okay, so yeah. you, you know something about this, this land. A little bit, yeah. And what about this? How important is this? Well, very important. It's good to have uh, marking because of uh, all the plowed up land. I mean, the trails are gone. Yeah. They've disappeared. Even the one here is disappearing. Yeah. And what was there before it disappeared? What was the trail? What did it look like? It's big, deep wagon trails. I mean, you'll see them yeah. as you go. Wagon There's, ruts. Yep. And oh. it took three and a half days to ride from here to Fort Walsh on your horse. And I'm not sure how long to take to walk? Yeah. <laughs> now, are, are you are you tempted to come walking with us at all? Uh, no, I've uh, I've ridden it, ridden part oh. of it, but yeah. okay. So you're a horseback person. Yes. Yeah. We are. Yeah. And uh, what do you think about walking it? Oh, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see some lots of interesting things. Have you? Do you see many people walking on the prairie? Uh, no. No. It, it doesn't. What do you think we'll notice on the prairie that you might not otherwise? I mean, that you might see on horseback, but people driving don't see. That you'll notice? Yeah. Well, you'll see lots of wildlife. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And you might see interesting things, formations on yeah. the land. Yeah. And what about uh, history? Your job for 24 years has been to talk about the history also of this place. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's the, when somebody comes in, like me, from somebody else, what's the one thing that you first want to make sure that I know about? That this was a Northwest Mounted Police Post. It was not a fort. They didn't think they needed a fort here. And it was open for 44 years. Great. 
Well, thank you. Thanks so, for welcoming well, us good here. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. Great, <laughs> that was Judy Fitzpatrick at the Wood Mountain Historical Site. She was chatting with me in 2015, just as a small group of us started the 350-kilometer walk from Wood Mountain to Cypress Hills. To my knowledge, Hugh Henry and I were the first to walk this entire trail on foot in over a hundred years, although some had done it on horseback. Hugh is the trail convener for the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society. You can see more of the Society's work on these historical trails and some fascinating photos on their website at shfs.ca. shfs.ca. The wagon ruts that Judy mentioned have mostly disappeared now. But the faint path we were following was, in the late 1800s, one of the most crucial transportation hubs or routes in the so-called northwest of what was to become Canada. Métis traders, hunters, and ranchers used the trail heavily. The brand new, at that time, Northwest Mounted Police used it as a patrol trail. And not coincidentally, thousands of Lakota who had fled American cavalry had set up in Wood Mountain and Cypress Hills, and the trail became a corridor for these refugees as well. That is, until they were pushed out by a lack of Canadian aid or assistance and were again forced south of the border. In 2015, when we walked it, we had to push through chokecherry bushes and strands of trembling aspen to get started. Once we did, we had the adventure of a lifetime. Local band councillor Dave Ogle had arranged permission for us to cross the territory of the Wood Mountain First Nation that first day. They were a group of Lakota who stood their ground and refused to leave the hills. Finally, they won a small parcel of that land in 1910. Ironically, we were a group of settler descendants who arrived on their doorstep just in time for lunch. They graciously fed us pork chops and corn, and then an elder hosted us in a small ceremony and sent us on our way, telling us to go and to walk the good walk. The next night, we were hosted in the small village of McCord by Audrey and Bill Wilson, and, given the first, and we gave the first in a number of presentations on the history and significance of the trail. Even if some folks might have thought we were a bit crazy to be walking across the open prairie, we were constantly met with hospitality and welcome, and sometimes food. So um, I've got the camera on, just so you know. But, but, but thank you, that was really fun. Was it, was it half as much fun for you folks as it was for us? No, was it okay? Yeah, it, was probably, it was probably at least half as much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was great. it was enjoyable, and you know, it's nice to get you the, the the pictures that they had. You know, some of the people are still with us, so yeah. that made it even you know much more special. When Miss Fulton's little boy is here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you in that class? Were you no, in that? No, class? That, 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 that was my mom. That was mother was. Uh, is that your mom when they said, "Oh, Miss Fulton's Miss class," Fulton. yeah. and you said, "You're you were here." Yeah. yeah. Well. He, he wasn't well, even expected. My mom was here too. Oh, she was there. At Wood Mountain, Lakota First Nation, and in small towns like McCord, Mancota, Valmarie, and East End, Hugh would show slides from the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society's archives. These are wonderful photos you can see for yourself if you go look at the SHFS website. They're records of a colorful history of rural prairie life. The photos were taken in Kodachrome in the 1950s and 60s by a man named Everett Baker who almost single-handedly recorded much of the small-town life of Saskatchewan. Interestingly enough, I have a few relatives in those photos. It was also Baker who, almost three-quarters of a century ago, raised the money and put in the work to put up the same posts we were now trying to make sure were all discovered, geolocated, and in good shape. 
In the summer of 2015, after a long day of walking in town after town, we'd get ourselves cleaned up as best we could. And then, as Hugh showed the old photos and talked about the history, people would laugh and perhaps shed a few tears and maybe call out names of people they recognized, or even those who were there. After Hugh finished talking about the settler history, I'd say a few words about the Indigenous people's much longer histories on the same land, and why I thought what we were doing was a pilgrimage. We were warmly welcomed everywhere. Sometimes, like at McCord, the number of people who came out for the potluck and the presentation actually surpassed the census population of the town. And boy, do they make a good jellied salad in McCord. Once you get south of the Trans-Canada Highway, particularly in the vicinity of um, Grasslands National Park, uh, Wood Mountain, as well as the Cypress Hills, it's much more rolling, there's grassland, but uh, as you get further west, it also becomes much more arid, it's drier. Louise Bernice Half is my name. I just told you my Cree name, which means sky dancer, loosely translated into English. Uh, I'm Peter Butt. I'm Louise's spouse. Let's start with the most important things. <laughs> I uh, work as an associate professor in the College of Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. Sky dancer Louise Half and Peter Butt are friends of mine who have walked with me across the prairie. This last summer, led once more by Hugh Henry, a small group set out one more time on the Wood Mountain to Cypress trek. I zoomed with Peter and Skydancer just to check in and to hear more about that country I love so well. Uh, so the, the topography that Louise was describing was um, in the vicinity of the, the western block of Grasslands National Park where there are buttes and it's much it's eroded much like the, the Badlands, rugged, uh, there are coolies and uh, cactus, very dry, it was very hot. So uh, what, what do you... What do you folks think about the idea of people walking the Northwest Mounted Police Trail? Oh, I think it's wonderful. I, I, well, I, you don't, you don't think it's it. just cracked? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Oh, no. Uh-uh. I, I love history, especially yeah. the... Well, like, when you think of that Sitting Bull was part of the area, if, if this was part of the United States, there'd be all these millions of tourists that would want mm -hmm. to see this. It would, you know, say, you know, all these Americans, oh, yeah, we got to see where Sitting Bull's last stand was, or Custer's last stand yeah. was. And here, Sitting Bull was here, and most people aren't, aren't even home. aware that it happened. Oh, yeah. 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 And traveled back and forth exactly along that road many yeah. times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, he must have. Yeah. yeah. And Walsh did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Walsh would be a hero. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, like you go to the Black Hills and, and the, the stuff they have down there, like Char Kicking Hor or Charlie, or mm. what's the guy? The, the Crazy Horse. Crazy, Crazy Horse. horse. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. all, you, know, you know, here he had and, Sitting Bull and there's nothing. You know, it's, it's all so, commercialized out so much yes. down there. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, I don't know. Here's the school Here's teacher. Here's Miss Fulton. Hi, hi Miss Fulton. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. I want to ask you about walking in a group and uh, the sort of the, the rhythm or the cadence between sometimes walking on your own and then walking with others in a group and how the experience was of walking together with others in this, in this particular group in 2020. On the prairie, of course, it's very expansive and you could have groups 
and people can link and join and form. It all depends on how people feel, um, if they want to engage in this conversation or not. And sometimes you, you certainly can read intuitively that here's a person that wants some time alone and, and one respects that. I, I have no problem walking alone. I'm so, you know, well, you know what? It's like a writer's right. life is a lot of isolation, a chosen isolation, imposed isolation. And uh, so I have no problem with that. The physical rhythm um, for me is, is part of the meditation and uh, how the, the pace is very similar to our heartbeat and it has a, a definite rhythm to it. And sometimes we would, um, I would sing sweat lodge songs or ceremonial songs, and they would have the same sort of cadence as well. Um, and, and that would be one way of connecting. Of course, there's that opportunity to reflect on not only the beauty of the earth and the sky and the landscape, but also the way everything is, is connected spiritually. That land in Southwest uh, Saskatchewan on Treaty 4 territory, uh, I know it quite well because I grew up there. And one of the remarkable things for me about growing up there was that I had very little contact with Indigenous people. And yet the evidence of their 10,000 year occupation of that territory was all around me. Um, so, but this isn't about the, I, when you talked about the answers, I'm, I'm interested in hearing, uh, talk to you, I'm interested in, in, in the emptiness of contemporary resurgent Indigenous presence. Uh, on so much of that land, and yet uh, how it felt to walk it in, in that kind of a context. Well, I, I think it's anything but empty, okay? Like in terms of our ancestors, they're always with us. And um, what what I did as I was um, strolling around along was um, um, talk to, my, both my parents are past and two of my brothers are past and uh, my grandparents and henceforth. And I, I spoke with them the way I would normally wouldn't have been, have the opportunity of speaking with them in real life because of the family dynamics. So I spoke with them that way. And also I, I spoke to the, the uh, four, four ancestors as well that walked this land and that their very presence, I felt it. I really felt it. I felt, um, actually quite lighten my footsteps. For me, I, I've done a lot of, um, in the past, uh, vision quests. And, um, and so has Peter. And I would come out of my vision quest after four days and four nights of, uh, without food and water, dancing. And that's what it felt like for me, that particular, that particular hike. I, I, I was uh, totally high. It was like, our, you know, our first walk three years ago, I was hired in a kite for about three or four days, like just high, 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 because my, my, my late father was a walker. My, both my brothers were walkers. My mom was somewhat of a walker. I used to walk with her when we went snaring rabbits. And uh, my grandfather's name is Upstock's Goose. Upstock's Goose, I understand, loosely translated to mean Prairie Walker, little Prairie Walker. So I feel like I was walking with my ancestors and my immediate family. When we, were, when we walked it in 2015, the first time, Hugh and I were often just the two of us in that first walk. And, uh, and I, one of the things that was remarkable to me, because you don't spend a lot of time on the land, was how many um, 
rings there were, lodge rings uh, there were on the land. And it was just, it was crowded. Like you said, it was, it was crowded with uh, evidence of human habitation. I, I think the predominant absence of indigenous people now is, is an historical blip when you think of it in terms of the, the age of the land and how it had been occupied for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years by, by different tribal groups uh, back and forth uh, as they shifted and uh, expanded their territory. But um, really the, the absence is because of government policy that moved people out of the, the Southwest, uh, particularly at around the time of um, Sitting Bull's excursion north. They didn't want the, the Cree and the Blackfoot linking up with the, the Lakota. But um, also in the development of the reservations, the way they starved people out of the Southwest. And because the Cree were seen as perhaps more challenging, uh, perhaps more assertive, they were dispersed wider. They had smaller reserves that were dispersed further north into the Kapow Valley, uh, further north in the Saskatchewan River Valley, and away from the border, away from Cypress Hills. What's interesting is that Nikani, Kanikani was the treaty chief that was able to maintain some land in the Cypress Hills and the reserve there. Um, they were able to survive the starvation and they had starvation camps where people were kept but fed impossibly small amounts of rations to force them onto reserves elsewhere. Now through treaty land entitlement, it's interesting on the map, I noticed that uh, both Kanikani and uh, maybe Pasqua First Nation or Piapot, one or the others have taken land on the south side of the Cypress Hills through treaty land entitlement. So there, there's a reclamation process going on as well. on the prairie and follows the buffalo herds he's seen things happen and he's seen things change since the white man came to try to rearrange the life that he enjoyed for so many years but without your freedom you ain't got nothing and you just can't live that way Another of the walkers who joined us that first year, then kept coming back again and again, was Harold Stepun. Harold was already nearing 80, but he showed up with an ancient orange backpack and walked faster than any of us. Harold is a retired hydrologist, a Canada research scientist whose specialty is water. While I would be looking at the sky and thinking of a song, maybe, and Hugh would be looking at the crops and plotting our travel, Harold might be looking at the rock formations and thinking about how the highlands were formed by the last ice age. As a Catholic, Harold often debated with me whether what we were walking was truly a pilgrimage. That's a bit of an extension, uh, a highland that goes all the way to the, to the Rockies, but uh, different origins, I think. I don't think the Cypress Hills is a result of or, uh, erogenous, that is magma puffing up and creating a mound, but I th th they think it's a remnant, I think, from what geologists have 
determined it's and that's why the the rocks are layered horizontally fairly well on the and that's why I was I'm curious about the trail because it, in a way it should be in the same formation all the way or you know one or two of the formations that lie contiguous on top of each other yeah one can get emotional about all sorts of things yeah. and that's what that's what can happen but but I think the respect part is the part that most of us have to work on. You know, do I walk here? And even on this little walk now, it's just after a nice rain, and uh, it's still quite wet there, and I thought, well, I better be careful where I walk. And there are uh, preserved landscapes. You have to walk in to where the landscape can absorb our footprint. A question that I ask everybody is: Do you, does this? Do you own this land, or does the land own you? Do you do, does land belong to you, or do you belong to the land? Well, I'm just a visitor here, in my thinking, and as a visitor, I have to have a respect for it, not just in a natural way. That's important, but. Sometimes I feel that humans are part of this landscape and other parts. Other times I feel that we are in an invasive species. <laughs> Have you done any thinking about pilgrimage? If, is, is there such a thing as a pilgrimage uh, across the Northwest Mounted Police Trail without a shrine at the end? Can it be a pilgrimage? Can it be a pilgrimage? I, I suspect so if one would one decides to make it so on the other hand since the current situation is that there uh, the actual land legally is owned by so many different people i think it would be very difficult to, to uh, well to make this pilgrimage and not be aware of all the logistics and the, all the legalities that are necessary to carry to carry through on it. I, I'm not sure. Harold has been a constant companion on our prairie pilgrimages ever since 2015. He's amazingly tough, amazingly smart, he's in tune with the land, and he knows the paths almost as well as Hugh. I should mention again that even if the original idea of walking that Northwest Trail was mine, it would never have happened without Hugh Henry and the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society. Hugh is the one who arranged with land managers and owners for us to cross, who plotted the course, who arranged for overnight accommodation, who arranged the speaking engagements, and who knew what directions to take. If ever there was any doubt about where we were, it was always best to trust Hugh. And he did always know. In turn, Hugh was making sure that we were checking in on the old concrete posts that had been put up 50 years earlier by Everett Baker. Sometimes it seemed like we were following in the footsteps of that Everett Baker and his Leica camera. Did you, do you, rem did you remember Everett Baker or not particularly? I remember him, yeah. Yeah? What did you think of him? Well, he was just a nice man. Huh. Uh, one thing you didn't, you, didn't, or you didn't mention about him, he used to come around the schools and put on shows. Everett Baker did. Everett Baker did, yeah. He yeah. had a little power plant in the trunk of his car, and he'd usually do a newsreel, 
and a little promotion for Meepool, and prob probably a sketch, comedy, and then a short movie to the country schools, which was be quite a highlight. Oh yeah. man, well we had a half afternoon off for one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of us had never seen a movie. Yeah. You know, I never saw a movie, I don't think, until I was 13, 14. Celebrated a harvest being over and father took us all to the pit show in Furland. That was quite a treat. Big stuff there. Yeah. Well, like a lot of those pictures were taken before power was put in in this area. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and just like that yeah, sod shack. So, yeah. so him coming with a power plant and a yeah. movie was Well, power plant was amazement to us, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And when he marked the trail, the Northwest Mounted Police Trail, he came back through again. I mean, he was here many times oh, as, yeah, a, many times. as a wee pool guy and then later on to mark the trail. And yeah. I guess he, was, he was a very difficult man to say no to. Was he? Yeah, I think he was very persuasive. And so how many places have you seen where you can still see those can discern those ruts in, in the, have you seen any yet? Yeah, not so many, but today we came across uh, uh, several. Yeah, several where you had the, about, in fact, in one place we counted six. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Six or eight. Six or eight of the ruts right beside each other. But, and then it's a little hard to know sometimes, is it that or is, are, are they later tracks? But yeah. mm -hmm. in this case, they were exactly, you know, what, what you had talked about, the, yeah. the narrow ruts deep in the ground, and there were eight right beside each other. So you're not, you don't do that with ATVs, no. you know, or tractors or something. Those, that was something else. You'll see another place tomorrow. Ain't staying home. If you'd like to know more about the Northwest Mounted Police Trail or the Traders Road, look for it at www.somethinggrand.ca or check out the website for the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society. But I'll join the force And I'll just let the In the 1860s, when the Métis were first coming through, there was a Berland, and he had a trading post. Mm -hmm. And the description of his trading post puts it down here on this Wood River. Yeah, that's where that marker is next to the river. They show one slide with a marker next to the Wood River. That's on the east side of this road going south of town, two miles south. And there's still uh, uh, good ones keep picking up j uh, pottery shards and stuff in the field. So we, so we, we think that's where the one of the first trading posts was. And it was a crossing. It was a crossing of the Wood River. We crossed there on the road, so it would have been fairly close to that? No, where we, crossed we, we haven't got to it yet. Oh, we haven't got to it yet? Yep. Mm. No. Oh, okay. No, it's what, two miles. What time of the day will they get there? Oh, well, I suppose. When do they get out? How far are you from it? In this episode, you've heard the voices of, among others, Judy Fitzpatrick, Audrey and Bill Wilson, Madonna Hamel, Hayden Thomason, Harold Stepun, Hugh Henry, and Thelma Poirier. Thanks to Skydancer and Peter for the interview that continued into this episode, and to Scott Royal for some of his music, as well as to James Anderson for the podcast theme. Some of the music for this episode was taken, with permission, from Stu Tasha's fabulous musical, The Cypress Hills Would Never Be the Same, and Stu is the songwriter. You also heard the wonderful voice of Dave Sisa, a fellow walker on guitar and lead vocals, Mark Penner on guitar and backup vocals, Eliza 
uh, Doyle on banjo and Ed Doyle on the upright bass. Thanks finally to the Concordia University Part-Time Faculty Association, or CUPFA, for partially funding some of the first walk we took years ago and for supporting a part of this podcast. If you'd like to know about more reading, I'd point you toward a couple of different books in terms of the history of Southwest Saskatchewan or Treaty 4 territory, and especially the ways in which the Indigenous populations were pushed away from those, that area specifically. Check out Jim Daschuk's book, Clearing the Plains, Disease, Politics of Starvation, and the Loss of Aboriginal Life. It's a fantastic book, and uh, it will really open your eyes. Another book, uh, that I would recommend by an Indigenous author is Bob Joseph's uh, 21 Things You Didn't Know About the Indian Act, uh, or finally, Eva Mackey's book, Unsettled Expectations. Any one of these books is just wonderful reading and a good introduction to the subject. That I'm only 16. There's lots of audio and video I took on that first walk that I'm still digging into now. Here's one. After a long day of trekking, Madonna, who started out this episode for us, found me sitting on a boulder under some poplars, digging burrs out of my boots. I'll end this episode with a bit of that conversation. Here she and I are, in 2015, two-thirds of the way through the 350-kilometer walk. I'm Matthew Anderson, the Staircase Pilgrim, and I look forward to seeing your next episode of Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. Bye for now. The singer and drummer on the Nakoda Honor Song you're about to hear is friend of the trail, Joseph Netauhau. All right, film me now. So, just talk about your feet. Well, it's the uh, end of, I don't know how many... 15 miles today mm-hmm. and um, and the feet after and probably now at this point we're about two-thirds of the way through the walk from Wood Mountain to Cypress Hills to Fort Walsh so which means we've walked about over well well over 200 kilometers now and my feet are are showing a little bit of that of that uh, stress and strain I, I'm a firm believer in duct tape <laughs> and so I've got various bits and pieces of there, there was a piece of spear grass that went in the top and got lodged. And wow. if you put duct tape on top of it, it'll eventually it'll pull it out, I think. The body will reject it and it'll pull it out. And then uh, to, now we're getting into the Frenchman River Valley, and that's up and down. And uh, when you're down on the flat, often you're going through pasture, and it might be thick grass, it might be, all, you know, who knows uh, what you're walking through. You're walking through uh, clover, you're walking through um, all kinds of things. A, a flock? A flock sheep. of sheep today, yes. There was a flock of sheep today, and I thought they would be a little... I've walked through sheep, you know, lots of, lots of sheep in Norway and England, and they just kind of go around you. They don't necessarily like you, but they, they move around you. But today, they, they seemed to think that we were herding them. And so there were a couple hundred, or a hundred anyway. And, uh, and they started sort of bolting. And then they were following us through a fence, and this is not a good thing. You've had quite a day for um, other 
discoveries too. Uh, in and around the sites of the of the markers, there was a, an effigy. Yes, that's right. In fact, um, that was one of the most beautiful spots on the walk today. I, I, we've had beautiful spots and beautiful sites so often. I, I'm remembering a couple of days ago when there was a uh, there was a white-tailed deer, a, a male a buck with uh, horns, and he was uh, jumping through uh, an alfalfa field and you had that sort of tawny skin and the beautiful horn and the light was coming in on the side and through that field of yellow and gold and it was just beautiful, stunning. And today in the middle of the sun we had one of those kind of moments. We approached the, the Frenchman, we were kind of following along the Frenchman River in the valley bottom and then we went up a rise and uh, there on a, on a rocky promontory or up like on the top of the hill um, there were stones, and it was it was maybe it's hard to say. It's certainly a teepee ring, and maybe the effigy, an effigy of a turtle, because there's certainly there was the ring, about five meter ring, and then on one side were stones going what may have been a stone for a head, and on the other side stones for uh, for a tail, and um, and on the and right beside that uh, another teepee circle, um, right beside it, and uh, this was on the top of the hill looking out over the valley. So beautiful spot. And um, higher up, there was just another hill, a little bit higher up, and Hugh went up there and said that he found what he believes might be grave, graves mm. up there. So clearly this was an inhabited site. And very, very, it's a beautiful site looking out over the valley. And, and down below you've got the Frenchman and the cut banks on the, either side of the Frenchman. And an area that would have been good for swimming. Even today it would have been, I mean, I wanted to go swimming today. It was so hot, I thought, oh, just to put my feet in at least. Mm.